Welcome to Creative Conversations, the podcast where we talk about creativity in the arts, life and business. I'm your host, Yang Mei Ui. My guest today is Simon Pimenta, who is a resilience coach. And I start off our conversation by asking him what a resilience coach does. So that's a great question. I trained as a hypnotherapist coach and resilience really teaching people about personal resilience. If, if we start with the definition, resilience is the ability to spring back, resume original state, the ability to endure. It's an engineering term, but in relation to people, uh, I think there are two elements. Number one, our ability to respond to events, to be able to recognize when we've been knocked off balance and to know how to restore equilibrium. And then there's the proactive element, developing the mindset and thinking skills so that we're less likely to be knocked off balance in the first place. And it's really teaching people that some of our responses can just become automatic and conditioned, habitual. For example, you know, how many people when they get stuck in traffic, their automatic response is just to start feeling frustrated. And it's, it's teaching people that actually that is one option, but another option is to respond in a very different way, just to recognize that we can't really do anything in this situation. So getting frustrated about something we can't change is a futile frustration. And therefore another option is just to relax, to look out the window, look at the clouds. You know, how often people say, I wish I had a bit of time to just sit and have a think or, or look at the clouds. And now this, this is your opportunity. Okay, so it's just teaching people that our responses can become habitual, but we can actually change them. But we need to become aware of what they are in order to do that. So that's a very, very simple definition. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because as you're sitting in the traffic jam, and, and, and I've been there, many people have been there, you're late for a meeting or you're late for something and you get more and more worked up and, and suddenly it's everybody's fault. It's the whole world out there. They're out to get you. They're out to stop you from getting to you know, your appointment. And so you get more and more stressed and upset. But actually what you're saying is that's your own mind creating that melodramatic scenario. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to give you another example, I was talking about this earlier. Um, I am not the most technical person, you know, when it comes to using computers and stuff. And in the past, if tech wasn't working, I would get incredibly frustrated. You could, you could almost call it tech rage. And, you know, I probably wasn't very nice to the IT person on the other end or was a bit grouchy. Um, And, you know, yesterday, three different platforms I was using had tech issues and I had to call support to get it sorted. Um, and I just actually was able to respond in a much more resourceful way and not really waste my energy getting frustrated about something that was out of my control. That is quite a good point it's because um, you are expending energy when you get frustrated or when yeah. we get frustrated yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and angry. And actually, we've got so much going on in our hectic lives that to expend unnecessary energy is actually depleting us um, and, and making us even more tired, which then presumably starts the whole cycle of being frustrated all over again. 
Yeah, and actually you've hit, hit on something I would, might have talked about later, is if we think about having an energy bucket, so in any given day you've got so much energy, there are things you can do uh, that mean you're using that energy efficiently or you're using that energy inefficiently. There are also things you can do maybe to actually boost that energy, but if we just focus on, you know, what are the things we're doing which mean we just use that energy up more quickly, then that means it's the difference between getting to the end of the day and feeling right, yeah, I'm ready to go out and have a nice evening at the cinema or whatever, or actually I'm so exhausted, I just need to go home and go to bed. Okay, so that's what the resilience is about, just recognizing that we can influence the way we use our energy. Now, you yourself were not always uh, so resilient. <laughs> you came to resilience coaching through your personal hard-won experience. Can you tell us about yeah. that? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, and this is kind of why I'm very interested in the topic, because I know what it's like not to be resilient. I, I, I probably, you know, even as a child, was a bit of a worrier, you know, tended to overthink things. Um, but basically, I'm, let's just think of the chronology. Back in 1997, I went off sick. I got completely burned out. I was the director of a housing trust and I'd done that job for about three or four years. And over that period, my health deteriorated uh, to the point that I got completely burned out in 1997 and I didn't work again for eight years. I developed ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, and fibromyalgia. And, you know, I tried lots of things to try and get my health back. Doctors, I was very fortunate that I had doctors who were very supportive, but they didn't really know how to help me. And it's only, <clears throat> I tried supplements, I tried different treatments, uh, some things helped to some degree. I remember seeing a doctor trained in nutritional medicine. He identified some issues, prescribed some supplements, and he expected me to fully recover and was puzzled when I didn't recover. And it's only when I started understanding how stress can make us sick and keep us sick and learning how to switch that stress off that I started to notice shifts in my health, in my energy. And, you know, I was trained as a counsellor, as a manager of a housing trust. I'd done training in stress management, but none of the tools that I had at that point really touched the issues and made any difference. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was only when I really learned how to identify the unhelpful thoughts, feelings that I was generating how to interrupt them and how to create new responses that I started to regain my health back to the point that after eight years, I was able to start working again full time. I, I remember playing badminton for the first time for three hours. Um, and at one point when I had Amy, I couldn't walk for one minute. My goodness. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, and I put it down to primarily in the main part, the stuff that I've just, describe to you so did you go back to work as the director of the housing trust no i i quit that job i actually went i retrained as a hypnotherapist and coach and i was offered a job by the 
person running the training program. I worked in his office um, for about six years and also had a private practice. Um, and that's what I've been doing since. Right. So the re- yeah. Since, so, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that since 2006. Right. So the reason that I kind of asked that, did you go back to um, your old job, is that um, there are sort of, I guess there is a, um, a kind of conventional way of thinking about it. Oh, it was my job as X that caused me to have stress. So now I'm better. I can go back. I've got my, um, uh, I've got these skills and tools. I'm going to go back and, and do my old job again with my new tools. So that's, that's one, one scenario. Another scenario yeah. is this is job X. So I'm now, it's, uh, it's, it's the job that's the problem. And perhaps some people might think, well, it's the job that's the problem. It's not my thinking. It's not my thoughts. I don't need hypnotherapy. I don't need counseling. I'm just going to change jobs, go to another job as director of something else or change careers into something. Um, And, um, or I'm going to, I don't know, um, just just do something different without attending to oneself. Um, And so um, I, I guess my question is, isn't that a you know can't we just do that just kind of oh it's the situation let's change the situation off well that's a really interesting point you raised because you know for example I remember (coughs) reading a book I think by Ursula Markham which is all about stress and what she talks about is if you are the director of an organization statistically you're more likely to get sick now at the same so that is you know, the circumstance, the job, the situation. However, not everyone who does that job gets sick. Some people thrive in that environment. And what I recognise is that it was the combination of the job and perhaps my, whatever you want to call it, personality psychology, that interacted. So, for instance, as I mentioned earlier, I was a worrier. Um, I had the tendency maybe to take things to heart, um, had the tendency to burn the candle at both ends. I wasn't very good at saying no. So all those things in combination resulted in that outcome. Perhaps had I had the tools and you know insights that I now have, I would approached I would have approached doing that job in a very different way. I would have worried less about what other people thought. I would have managed myself better. I would have not been generating so much worry, but more self-confidence and self-belief. And I'd follow through on what I felt to be right and not, not be thinking about what the managers think, et cetera, et cetera. Um, having said that, what I recognize is doing that job isn't what I'm passionate about. You know, I'm not passionate about being a manager, fundraising, managing stuff. What I really enjoy is the client work uh, that I was doing in the housing trust before I became the manager and the work that I'm doing now. That's my passion. But at that time I wasn't, even when my health was deteriorating, I didn't have the imagination to think, actually this job doesn't suit me. You know, a friend of mine, I remember her saying to me, you know, if I hadn't quit my job, I would have probably ended up like you completely burned out. But she said, and I went to the doctor feeling stressed and depressed, he gave me antidepressants I walked out of the surgery and I had a, a light bulb moment I realized I didn't need antidepressants I needed to quit my job I did that she actually went on holiday for about three months and then when she came back she started her own business which she's still doing being a dog walker and she loves it so you know it's 
it's about you also finding what is the right thing for you to be doing, you know, and for me being a manager wasn't the right thing. So there will be probably people listening thinking, oh, gosh, he's just described me. <laughs> I need to come and see him. Um, what, um, what could I expect? What could a, a, your client expect if they came to see you as a stressed out, burnt out person? Um, because it all sounds potentially maybe a bit intimidating because counselling, oh, counselling is, is, is not for me. I, I don't need it. I'm strong. Um, but, oh, but this sounds quite attractive. Um, so how, how, um, what can they expect if they come to you for the first time? Yeah, so, so first of all, um, you know, I would explain those concepts that we've just talked about, defining what resilience is and um, that just recognising that I, I often say to clients, what is the significance of the number 86,400? Any ideas of the significance of that number? Um, no, no, not. It's, no. it's the number of seconds in a day. And if you consider, let's, I wonder if it's happened to you or anyone listening, you know, you send an email and then you realize you forgot to attach the attachment, you know, so do you say to yourself, oh no, you idiot, you know, what will that person think of me? Each of those words, oh no, you idiot, is a thought. So we can have a lot of thoughts in the space of a day. And if they're stressful thoughts, then they're generating the fight or flight response in our body. And if we're doing that, it means we're using our energy inefficiently. We're switching off our clever thinking. It affects the quality of our sleep. It affects our digestion. Um, it affects the immune function. So if we're doing that a lot, then that's having quite an impact on the body. And so what I'm really teaching people is that you know, we are generating certain states of mind. Some of them are helpful. Some of them are unhelpful. So example, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a plane coming back from Spain. And as is often the case when I fly, is I ended up sitting next to someone who was quite an anxious flyer. And we had been told that there was going to be turbulence. But every time there was turbulence, this, this woman sitting next to me, uh, she was closing her eyes, she was clenching her fists. I could see the stress on her face. So I just sort of tapped her on the shoulder and we, we got into a conversation and I said, you know, what's, you know, I can ask you a question. She said, yeah, sure. I said, what's going on in your head? What are you saying to yourself every time there's turbulence? And often when I ask people that question, they're not really consciously aware of what they're saying to themselves. So sometimes I have to say to them, Yes, what do you think you're saying to yourself? And so people often say things like, oh, I suppose I'm telling myself that the plane's going to crash. And she said something really interesting to, to me. She said, well, my, I'm, that's what everybody feels, isn't it, when they're on a plane? And I said, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm in, uh, um, completely relaxed. And she looked at me, you know, with disbelief. And so we got into a whole conversation about that. And what we discovered is, what she was saying to herself, the conversation she was having with herself was very different to the conversation I was having with myself. She was saying, oh, the plane's going to crash, we're going to die. I was saying to myself, this is just a bit of turbulence. It's quite exhilarating, actually. It's just a bit like being on a roller coaster ride. I like roller coaster rides. And the plane's going to land and we're all going to be safe. Okay? So what I'm really teaching people is how we are generating states of mind. Some are helpful, some are unhelpful. Um, I teach people how to use self-hypnosis. So 
hypnosis is all about recognizing that we can get ourselves into states of mind that are powerful, some unhelpful, some helpful. And that by using hypnotherapy, hypnotherapy by quietening the conscious mind, we can access that part of the mind, the unconscious mind that is able to be more resourceful. So our focus is much narrower. It's a bit like when you go to the cinema, that's an example of getting into a sort of hypnotic state. You're just focusing on what you're watching. And I, I'm sure, I don't know if you had this experience, I certainly have when I've been at the cinema, sometimes you even forget where you are. You're so absorbed in the story and the film ends and you think you sort of come back to reality. Um, and when we're accessing the unconscious mind, it's a bit like accessing the filing cabinets in our mind. We can find out what information we've stored in those filing cabinets that isn't very helpful. And the, our mind is more receptive to replacing that with notions that are more helpful. Um, so I remember actually working with someone who had a phobia of flying. He's a musician. He was about to go to America for a month long tour, getting on and off of planes. And he came to see me just a few days before he was flying. We did some work. And I, again, I had a similar conversation to the conversation I had with the woman on the plane and discovered what he was saying to himself that wasn't very helpful. By changing that, by teaching him how to use self-hypnosis on himself, he was able to get on the plane three days later. He flew from London to Paris. His partner phoned me up saying he's just arrived in Paris, completely calm and relaxed. He hasn't had to drink loads of alcohol in order to calm himself. And he's confident that he's going to be able to fly, do the transatlantic flight. And we actually had a Skype conversation whilst he was in America. And he actually sent me a picture of him sitting in the cockpit of a small plane. And he says, I enjoy flying now. So, you know, that's just an example of what's possible when we use that technique. That's an amazing story. That's really, really inspiring. Fantastic. Um, now, of course, I'm a writer and a sort of creative person, um, and I'm particularly interested in how to build resilience for creative types, because we tend to be, of course, quite sensitive um, and in touch with our feelings. And um, yeah. we have to be vulnerable to create our art. Um, uh, but often we have to face hurdles like uh, rejections, um, uh, negative critique of our work, um, and, and the challenges of making ends meet. Um, so how can resilience training help creative people with some of these challenges? Yeah, well, so the first thing that, that comes to mind really is just really looking at what our response is. So for example, if you do get a rejection, what meaning do you give that? You know, so um, one person... I, I can tell you, so... so yeah, go I, ahead. I, you know, because um, me and my, my writer friends, we all know it's not personal, but we go, oh my God, I'm rejected. Me, me, me. My whole being yeah, yeah. is yeah, completely yeah. shattered. Yeah. Um, oh my God, you know, this is my life's work. It's all been rejected. I'm rejected. Yeah. So one of the concepts I teach people is this concept of possibilities, okay? So in any event, we can respond in three ways. We can have a negative response, like we talked about the traffic jam. Um, we can have a neutral response, or we can have a positive response. Um, so it's completely understand, 
understandable that someone might take it personally. Okay, but I get people to recognize that's one response and there are other possibilities. Another way of looking at that is, is that we could completely reframe um, that experience. So for example, um, a concept to teach people is how people respond is information about them. How I respond to that person is information about me. So if someone, let's say, rejects me or says, you know, I don't want to work with you. And actually, to be honest, um, I can remember a time where if someone, if someone unsubscribed to my email list, I took it personally. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, I felt wounded. And actually, I had to look at, well, what's going on there? How am I generating that experience? So what I do with people is I look at what is the recipe for creating that emotional response? What are the steps that person takes to get that outcome? By understanding that, we can start to break that down and look at other options. So, you know, I got to the point where, I, where now if someone unsubscribes, I just think, great, that's fine. They're obviously not, we're not a good fit. They, they're, they're just clogging up. They're just another contact. You know, if I've got a whole list of contacts who aren't interested, that's just costing me money. So if they, if they unsubscribe, that's great you know, just keeps, you know, it means someone else can, can subscribe who's going to be more interested in what I do. So we need to be more flexible in our thinking. And if we only respond in that negative way, we are excluding other possibilities. I remember um, hearing, I think his name is Sebastian Junger, the guy who wrote The Perfect Storm. And he said, you know, what was interesting is when my book became a bestseller and then a film, you know, everyone was interested in my writing. And he said, but in that time, I had not become uh, a better writer. Okay. And what I realized is when people rejected me earlier on and, you know, maybe I took it personally, maybe I didn't need to, you know, and here's the thing. If we've got the challenges of mating, making ends meet, etc., going back to that concept of the energy bucket, do we want to be wasting our energy on, you know, taking things personally, um, which means that we've got less energy to make to do creative, constructive things to make energy meet. If we're generating frustration and stress when we sit down to write, that doesn't help us access the creative part of our brain okay we we access the creative part of our brain you know this i know this when we're in a resourceful state sure we can draw on our pain and on our you know on our learnings um but i mean do you recognize that is does that sound true for you that actually when you're writing you want to be in a creative resourceful state Yes, definitely. And I think when you're sitting down thinking, oh, is this what the public want? Is this what my editor wants? Is this something that I can get published? That's where your thoughts are. Your thoughts are not actually yes. on the story you want to write or the yeah, piece yeah, of work yeah, you yeah. want to express. Yeah. And actually, you know, my belief is that in order to, to get to that, you know, place, you know, some people call it being in flow, we need to switch off all that noise that's actually getting in the way of the creative process. You know, and I know, I know, I was just going to say, you know, I do this just for fun, but I um, play guitar and I write songs and stuff. And, uh, you know, I've not shared it with anybody, but 
I know that stuff just comes when my mind is blank. And I'm not saying I'm the greatest, you know, songwriter by any means, but it's really interesting. Sometimes I've been lining bed, my mind's completely blank and ideas just pop into my head. Um, and that doesn't happen when there's all the noise going on. I think that's really helpful thought for us creative types. Um, so now you, you know, you, you had your burnout, you had this um, eight years where you fought and struggled back to a state of not just good health, but better health um, uh, yeah. mentally and physically. Um, but recently you had a physical injury, um, which meant you, you couldn't do all the things like cycling and playing sports as much as you would like. And so that's a setback. And I guess yeah, life yeah. is about setbacks. You, you achieve something, you, you regain your health and then, oh, that's a setback. Um, that can be quite debilitating. And it kind of goes, oh, what was all that about? I, I worked so hard um, and now oh, I'm knocked back again. H how do you deal with setbacks? Yeah, well, you know, um, obviously things like that, it is, it, at times it feels frustrating. You know, I love playing tennis. I like cycling. Um, I can't, at the moment, push myself physically as, as hard as I was, you know, when I was doing those things. Um, but having spent eight years and spending a lot of that time for eight years, not being able to do all the things I wanted to do, I remember the first time I got on my bike and cycled for five minutes, that was a great thrill. The first time I was able to sit on a bus, sit on the number 12 bus and go into London, going over Westminster Bridge, seeing the Houses of Parliament, Westminster Abbey. You know, I still get pleasure from doing those things. I still get a lot of pleasure from the simple, simple pleasures. I, as I say, I was on holiday recently. Being able to travel, being able to sit on a beach, and you know just have a drink um so i'm much more appreciative of the good stuff yes i still like to do those other things um and my goal is to get back to doing those things you know at some point in the near future um but i'm i suppose i'm just much more appreciative of life before i got sick i kind of took everything for granted i took my health for granted um and and now you know i do I, you know even just having a walk in the park um you know gives me pleasure so again i think it's just a change of mindset yeah so to focus on what you do have that's good as opposed to yeah. oh i've lost that um, yeah 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 no that's great um so now you mentioned um uh, playing guitar and writing songs um you uh, also in uh, just for fun host an open mic night um can you tell us about that yeah so um that's basically it's an acoustic it's more it's actually, there is a sort of open mic element. If someone wants to do a song, they can, but it's also, it's more of a bit of a sing-along. So anyone can suggest a song. And we, if, if you've got an instrument, a guitar, uh, someone's come with a mouth organ before, um, you, can, you can play along and sing along, or you can just watch as some people do. And I've just actually booked another session. It's usually the last Sunday of every month in, the Clockhouse pub in East Dulwich, um, usually in the upstairs room. Um, so yeah, that's anyone can come along. And the inspiration for that actually was, I remember going to a pub just off the Edgware Road and every Sunday, this was a few years ago, but every Sunday, uh, an 80 something year old woman would sit down on the piano and bang out songs and sing along and everyone sang along people could do a turn if they want. And it was such a fun evening. And I just thought it would be good 
if there was more participation, people could actually just come along and, you know, have a sing. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I love having a sing. So it's, it's yeah, it's just a really nice, fun evening. And it's a lovely room in, the, in, in this great pub, which is Fantastic. on my doorstep. Because I, I think sometimes, you know, we, we all love singing as kids. Um, but then when we, when we grow up, it's like, oh, you've got to join a choir. You've got to audition. It all becomes like work all over again. Yeah. So yeah. the idea is fantastic. Just turn up and have a sing along. Yeah. Um, what is your top tip uh, for people uh, to develop more resilience in their lives? Well, I think the first thing relating back to what I just talked about is to just recognize you've got options. So for example, um, if someone, I remember working with someone who was a lawyer who had a phobia of, about giving presentations. And, you know, so when she thought about presentations, she was only thinking about the negative possibility that, oh my God, this is going to go wrong. I'm going to be, I'm going to look stupid. They're going to be bored. They're not going to learn anything. And she was, even though when I asked her how many times have those things happened, she said, never. Um, so she was actually excluding the possibility that she might do a neutral job or a good job or a great job. Okay. And just even sharing that with her mate meant that she went from a two out of 10 confidence to six out of 10 confidence. So I'd encourage you to look at the other possibilities, recognize what you're saying to yourself. And if it's not helpful and you've got, especially if you've got evidence to the contrary, start considering the other possibilities. Terrific. That's a great tip. Um, so now where can people go if they want to find out more about the open mic night and the sing along? So I will post that on the East Dulwich forum. So that's one place to look. I normally post it on Facebook as well. So uh, check that out. And also on Twitter. So I probably will hashtag it SE22. So you'll be able to find it. But as I say, it's usually the last Sunday of the month. And is there like a Facebook page? I haven't got a Facebook page. I do post it as an event on Facebook. So okay. if you're in the locale, you'll, you'll see it as an event. probably. Great. And if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, where, where, where should they go? Okay, so they can go to my website, which is resilience.uk.com. Brilliant. Simon Pimenta, thank you very much for being on Creative Conversations. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me, Yang Mei. My creative conversation today was with Simon Pimenta, Resilience Coach. You can find photos and links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page. And the bit.ly short link for that show notes page is bit.ly bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. You can also Google Creative Conversations with Simon Pimenta and Yang Mei Ui, Season 2, Episode 9, and you can use the episode reference to fine-tune the search, which is CCV0209, and that should pop up on your Google uh, search page. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, please share it with your friends wherever you share stuff. The Creative Conversations podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link again is bit.ly bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. 
I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Tiger Spirit UK. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.